hope you brought a Bible with you. Even, I, I really, really think the best thing you can do to come to church is bring the Bible and a friend. Now, there's a lot of people out there who need to be saved. And they need to hear the truth of God's Word, and they're not getting it out in the community at large. They can hear it in a church that teaches the truth of God's Word. So I encourage you to invite friends or make a friend this week and then invite them and uh, encourage them to come to church with you. I'm glad to see you here today. I hope you have a Bible. If not, scoot next to someone who does. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The title of the message is, By Love Serve One Another. Here's a picture of a different group in a different church singing to the Lord, and I think it's kind of cute. I don't know how clearly you can see the picture, but there's a mom holding a little girl there, and the little girl's looking straight at the person taking the camera. But they've obviously asked the other people to look toward the front, <laughs> but that little girl. Why is it that little girls do their own things and little boys are so obedient? No. I, I don't understand. See, you can hear truth when you come here. <laughs> and now we're about to get to it, okay? <laughs> this letter is written to the church in Galatia. That church had a problem, a serious problem. They were not teaching a clear message of salvation by grace. Jesus, Peter, Paul, and all the other disciples and apostles uh, correctly taught that salvation was by faith through grace. You confess your sins to God, believing in Christ in your heart that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the grave, believing that, confessing your sins, and then uh, you receive his free gift of salvation because he paid the penalty for your sins. Paul wrote to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That's from Titus 3.5. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. If you know it, say it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He wrote, uh, well, Luke wrote in Acts uh, 16 that Paul and Silas told a jailer in Philippi, he said, what must I do to be saved? What was their answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Acts 10, Peter preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the need to repent and believe. And many in Cornelius' house became believers. In Acts 15, Paul and Silas Peter, James, John, all the other apostles, they gathered in Jerusalem to make sure the gospel message was clear. By faith, through grace, we say it, by faith alone, uh, by faith alone, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you wonder, how come I don't know that I get tongue-tied saying my kids' names, and I've known them for years. I get Kathy's right most of the time. You heard about the husband who went to a memory clinic to strengthen his memory, and he came back, and his friend said, hey, how'd the memory clinic go? He said, oh, it was good. It was really good. And the guy said, well, what, what was the name of it? And he says, oh, oh, what, what's the name of that, that plant that, that has pretty flowers and thorns on it? 
And the guy said, Rose. And the, ah, that's it. And he turns to his wife. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that clinic? <laughs> I'm not that bad yet. So uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's why you look on our website. We mentioned number four earlier. And number nine says salvation. Grace, it's about soteriology, the theology of salvation. We believe that the triune God saves sinners by grace, through faith alone, in the person and work of Christ alone. We believe that salvation is freely offered to mankind as a gift wrought through the person and work of Christ and presented through the Holy Spirit. It is received solely by grace and not through religious works of any kind. A couple of weeks ago, we baptized some folks in here. There's a church in town, more than one, that teach you're not really saved until you're baptized. And your baptism completes your salvation. See what was going on in Galatia? The Judaizers came in. Well, who are the Judaizers? They're the folks who supposedly became believers, but they wanted to make everyone conform to the Jewish ceremonial laws. You see, before Christ, if you really wanted to be right with God, you converted to Judaism. And they didn't want to lose that. They wanted to hang on to that exaltation of Judaism instead of exaltation of Christ. And, and you know, Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, said, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, you come by faith in Christ. Whether you're male or female, you come by faith in Christ. And so the Judaizers were saying, hey, hey, look, look, it's great that you believe in Jesus. Excellent. That's wonderful. You need to do that. Now, to finish your salvation, you need to be circumcised. You need to observe this law and that law and this law. And Paul said, wait, no, 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 no. Paul said, we're saved by grace. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest, not come here, get saved, and then I'm going to add all kinds of extra stuff to your life. There's a freedom in receiving the gift of salvation. And one of the dangers of this time of year, people, you know, kids say they only get a gift if they're good, right? That's what some people teach. Well, the Bible says it's the exact opposite. We receive a gift because we recognize we're bad. We recognize we need a Savior, then we receive the gift of salvation. Now, when I was a kid, there was no question in my mind that you did not get gifts because you were good, because I always got them. <laughs> so I knew that was not the issue. So if you teach that in your family, you should change that structure. That's teaching against the work of Christ. Galatia, certain Judaizers said, salvation is by grace plus. That's why we say by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace plus. Well, maybe, but it's by grace plus nothing. By grace plus nothing. Zero. Paul told the Galatians that if they think a person must be circumcised to be saved, they were mistaken. They must trust the completed work of Christ on the cross. So in the middle of this great theological explanation of salvation and soteriology and, and the exposition of the false teaching of the Judaizers, Paul says in 
Galatians 5 and verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. That's the freedom in Christ. Only use not liberty as an opportunity to the flesh. Some people say, I have freedom in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. You have freedom in Jesus to do what's right. And he'll tell you what's right through the word and through his spirit. But you don't have the freedom to do what's wrong. Uh, so he says, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Don't satisfy your flesh saying, I got the liberty to do this. No, don't do that. But how does verse 13 end? Through love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I was reading another pastor, and he said, don't eat each other. Uh, <laughs> now, he was joking. That's, that's what the verse says, but we know it was used figuratively. You know, there are people who just, they don't care about other people, and it's as if they devour them. Uh, you've heard the phrase, chew them up and spit them out. Uh, that's, that's like what this verse is saying. By love, serve one another. Verse 14, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, when Jesus gave the great commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They asked him, what's the great commandment? Well, he gave them two for, <laughs> two for one, right? We love those specials at Christmas. Well, two for one. He said, love God with everything you've got, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And then somebody said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus basically said, your neighbor is everybody to whom you have the opportunity to be neighborly. Your neighbor could be the person you're standing in an elevator with. Your neighbor could be the clerk at the store. Your neighbor could be the cop who pulls you over to give you a little instruction on your driving habits. Your neighbor is the person you contact with. And God said, you are to be neighborly in every one of those contacts. Paul described an internal civil war that we face. In verse 17, he says, The flesh, our physical body, lusts or wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So there's this, this striving, this difficulty. Um, some of you have faced combat. I was in the Marine Corps, but I only did war games. I didn't actually have to go to war. Uh, we were relatively at peace at that time. Uh, and uh, But you go into sports, and they attack each other on the football field, and you know, basketball is supposed to be a non-contact sport, yet guys get their eyes poked and their wrists broken and in a basketball game. Uh, and we have this conflict, this turmoil, and we're fighting against. And he's, inside you, there's a civil war going on. Your flesh, your body, uh, the, the part of your human DNA that you just want to satisfy your body. And your body wants to do things that are not appropriate because you have 
a sinful nature. When you receive Jesus as Savior, He doesn't automatically say, oh, poof, your nature is perfect. He saves your soul, and then you're supposed to work out your salvation from the inside out, work on what He wants you to do. You are completely saved the moment you trust Jesus Christ. But you still live in a body that doesn't feel like it's saved. How many of you are diabetic? Raise your hand. Or have diabetes. We're not supposed to say I'm diabetic. I have diabetes. Diabetes does not define me. If you have it, you know it defines you, right? So how many of you are, raise your hand again if you're diabetic? Now, Keep your hand up if you cheat on your diabetic diet sometimes. Oh, no. What should we do with these people? Let's throw them out of the church. If we were the Judaizers, that's what they'd want to do. See, the flesh wants to do things. I have been diabetic for 25 years, and every now and then, I want a donut. I came out of surgery once, and Kathy was sick, so she couldn't be there. Courtney was waiting for me after surgery, and I wake up slowly from anesthesia, and apparently a little goofy, too, because uh, I woke up, and I saw Courtney there, and I said, Courtney, get me a donut. She said, Dad, I am not going to get you a donut. I said, I need a donut. And she wouldn't do it, so I called the nurse to ask the nurse to make Courtney go get me a donut. Thankfully, they were smarter than I was at the moment, and they didn't get me a donut. You know what's really funny? I was with my dad and his wife when he came out of surgery, and the first thing he said was, get me a donut. I, it, <laughs> who knew it was genetic? <laughs> but, but see, we want what we shouldn't have. We want what we shouldn't have. That's that flesh warring against the spirit. And sometimes it's silly things like donuts, and sometimes it's serious things that can mess up our lives. There's that internal struggle. And then uh, he describes it, uh, the contrast between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Look in uh, chapter 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh are manifest or evident. They're easy to see. And if you're honest, we see this all around us all the time in our culture. The works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness. See, the, the first four all deal with human sexuality. Do you think our culture has a problem with human sexuality? Do you think our culture is kind of obsessed with it? You can't buy potato chips, but somebody's on TV saying, these are sexy chips. I, I, I don't know how, th anyway, uh, you, you can't watch a sporting event without turning away when the cheerleaders come on or they have the ad for something that's lewd and inappropriate. And it, Paul said, th these are the works of the flesh. They're manifest. They're everywhere. That's been true all through time. It seems like it's worse today just because there's more media on it. You get pop-ups on your computer that are lewd and indecent. And uh, you know, it, it's easier to access it today, but it's always been around in humanity. And then he says, uh, not just that, verse 20, idolatry, 
worshiping things other than God, sorcery or witchcraft, uh, hatred. Do you think our world is filled with hatred? Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. We have uh, different things. What's the thing that happens now? It's often mentioned in the news. Somebody's driving down the road and what happens? Road rage. You know what we used to call that? Throwing a temper tantrum. It still is. We have a lot of people who have toddler temper control. They haven't learned more. So they throw a temper tantrum. That's what he says. Uh, Acts, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, or all kinds of such things. This is not an all-inclusive list. He said, here's a few, but there's other things just like this. And he said, those who practice such things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he described some of these same behaviors, but he said, such were some of you. Okay, if you are content to live in your sin, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our world says, it doesn't matter how you live, God loves you. When you die, you get to go to heaven. So a rock artist, a famous rock artist, who uh, his music was particularly graphic, and he was outspoken against Christianity. He died, and one of his followers is there on TV, and he looks up, he says, I know he's in a better place. Well, according to Scripture, if he had not received Jesus Christ as Savior, he's not in a better place. He's in a place that makes the worst on earth look pretty good. Hell is a place of torment and isolation and fire and darkness. How can you have darkness and fire? God created the world. God can do anything he said he's going to do. So such were some of you. You got saved by grace. Paul's telling the guys in Corinth, listen, look at the Judaizers. Okay, maybe they were not philandering and cheating on their spouses, but look at the rest of the list. They were uh, stirring up strife and causing hatred and contentions and difficulties, and they were angry. And and Paul said, that's of the flesh. You can just look at that, and you can say, that person is not behaving spiritually. Then he contrasts that with someone who is behaving spiritually. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, you notice it's singular fruit. Works of the flesh, there's multiple. The singular fruit, you're supposed to have all of this in your life. So if you look at this list, you say, hey, I got six out of nine. Pretty good. You're supposed to be nine for nine. And if you're not, you're supposed to work at it. Think of it like this. If you have a car that's only flat on part, a tire that's only flat on part of it, how well does the car drive? Hey, the top part looks good. It's only the bottom part that's flat, right? But you keep moving and the bottom part keeps moving. A flat tire is a flat tire. And you have to have all the thing working. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. Listen to the contrast. Hatred and and, and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambition. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, 
there is no law. Uh, Paul brings these, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, those who are led by the Holy Spirit of God, their behavior is supposed to be different. And so the people in Galatia were following people whose behavior showed they were focusing on the flesh. And he said, follow those who have behavior that shows they're focusing on the Spirit. Now, this does not mean that, okay, Marvin, you got to work really, really hard at being gentle. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So you and I don't have to focus on, oh, I, I've got to have joy, got to have joy. It's right, Christmas season, got to have joy. And isn't it so helpful that you go into stores and they play those lovely tunes to help you have joy? Doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Actually, at home they play some decent Christmas music, but not in stores. Anyway, if you don't see all of these in your life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you're not seeing these in your life, then you're not having the fullness of the Spirit in your life. Now, does this mean you will always have all nine? Years ago, we did a spiritual gifts test, and as a joke, I showed the church what mine looked like, and I got a perfect score in every category. Um, that's not possible. God designed it so that you have some struggles so that you depend on other people. So in verse 26, he reminds us not to become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Instead, what are we supposed to do? By love, serve one another. By love, serve. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you can memorize the whole New Testament. No. If you can quote from memory the articles of faith of your church. No. By your love, one for another. Now, some churches teach all you should ever think about loving Jesus and loving other people because that's everything. No, it's not. Jesus said this isn't all the law. He said it's the summation of it. Every other law that he had, every other rule that he had for his church is satisfied in those two things. But Jesus himself said when he gave his commission to his church, he didn't just say teach them to love me and love people. He said teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. So, but make sure... You're doing it out of love. I think everyone should tithe. Jeff was talking about that before the offering. Everyone should be a committed giver. Everyone should be generous toward God. The Bible clearly says there are rewards for being generous toward God. There are blessings that God brings into your life because of that. But you can be generous toward God and be a mean-spirited person. And, and Jesus actually said, listen, if you're bringing your offering and you've got an issue with somebody else, go take care of that issue first, then come back and bring your offering. Our hearts need to be right with God first. 
And then our offering flows from that. Um, serve. By love, serve one another. Yes, some are called to lead in a church. In our understanding of the Bible teaching, we have two officers, pastor and deacon. We also have trustees who, that's the biblical uh, title in the Bible of steward, uh, but they serve with the pastors and the deacons, and we serve on the ministry leadership team. And so uh, the pastors, deacons, trustees, we're responsible for guiding the ministries of the church. We have meetings and we talk about things, we discuss things, we determine things, then we announce them to the church sometimes. Other times we present them to the church for the church to vote on. Uh, for instance, you cannot be a missionary supported by this church unless the members of this church uh, vote to support your ministry. You can't be a deacon in this church unless the members of this church vote to put you in that position. Uh, so we are responsible for the oversight. In fact, uh, Peter told pastors to take the oversight of the ministry, but do it with love and serve. So if we had deacons who were not loving and not serving, then we would be violating scripture. One of the cool things about our church is our deacons do minister. I minister in ministries in our church that I'm not required to. I do it just to help the church, just to engage in ministry, uh, just to share. The Greek word doulos is used here to describe a bond slave. So by love, serve one another. That's a bond slave. So this doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to help you out, Megan George. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a whole list of things you should change in your life so you can be right with God. Am I serving her? No. What if I did want to serve Megan? What do you think is a question I could ask her to help? How can I help you? Not let me tell you what you're doing wrong. How can I help you? We, the Judaizers were causing the church to evaluate people so that anybody who didn't look and act exactly like them, they were evil, they were bad. Honestly, I do not want you to become like Terry Green. God does not want you to become like Terry Green. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. I have issues. Please do not ask my wife. She might tell you what they are. I have issues, and I struggle in some areas, but we have a responsibility to be the most like Christ that we can be. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing about Timothy, and I said, God did not call you to be Timothy. And so Tim Martinez said, what? <laughs> Doulos, a bond slave. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, serve like a slave. Just do it. Put your heart into it. Minister to other people. Care for people. Serve other people. 
Serve one another without arrogance. Serve without a need for their gratitude. Some people, they do something to help somebody, but then if that person doesn't effusively say thanks, they act all put out. Would a slave act that way? No. Uh, we serve without a need for gratitude, without expecting reimbursement or reciprocation. Well, I did something nice to them, and they haven't done anything nice for me. <clears throat> That's the way some people act. God said, not my church. Christ said, not my church. The Apostle Paul said, Galatians, stop it. Don't act like that. Do it because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do it like Christ did for his disciples and even for us. So pretend I have a big mirror up here, okay? Here's some questions you need to ask yourself as you look in the mirror, just a couple, and please don't answer it out loud. Answer it in your head, in your heart. If you want to share it as a praise in the, the contact card that's in the bulletin there, you can write that down as a praise that you got to do something or a prayer request for this coming week. Number one, what did you do last week to show your love to someone else who did not live in your house? What did you do last week to show your love to someone who did not live in your house? It's easy to show love to people that live with us. At least it should be. When we're right with God, it is easy. But those strangers out there, those obnoxious people out there, I mean, in Casa Grande, there are Bears fans. We still have to show kindness to them. Right, Jim? <laughs> what will you do this coming week to show your love to somebody who is not in your house? To model the life and love of Jesus Christ. To be a slave to them. Now, please... Don't go to your neighbor, knock on their house, and say, may I please come in and clean your toilets? <laughs> they might say yes, but they might call 911. <laughs> ask people. You all said, if I wanted to minister to Megan, how would I get? I would ask Megan George, how can I help you? And it would be okay for her to say, please just stay three feet away and that'll be fine. That would be okay. What works for her? Don't push yourself in on people. I'm going to help you. I'm going to straighten this out. Oh, your closets are a mess. Let me fix those for you. Please do not look in people's closets unless they ask for your help. Love is deep. Love is passionate. It resonates from the heart and soul. When somebody does something to help you out of love, you feel it. When they do it out of duty, you appreciate it, but you don't appreciate it as much. By love, serve. See, if you have love, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, 
goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It's all flowing out of you. What God is doing in your life, it's bubbling out. And so when you're serving from love, people recognize the difference. Paul told the Galatians, we need to know the true plan of salvation. Say it with me. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We need to know that. But salvation is supposed to spill over into other areas. So here's a couple things for you to think about. If you have a reputation for being fussy or demanding, you need to repent. You need to confess your sin and change your life. Now, I have foot problems and I have difficulty finding shoes. I've actually looked for a year and a half to find some dressier shoes that I, I've been wearing black tennis shoes for years. Some of you maybe never noticed, but I couldn't find dressy shoes. And I found a pair and they came in black and brown. They didn't have my size in brown, so I ordered them and they shipped them to me. Uh, but I tried in several shops. Uh, I think I tried on about 150 pairs of shoes over the last year and a half. Different times I'd go for a day and then I'd give up. And a couple months later, I'd try again. Uh, Kathy uh, loved to help me shoe shop. She'd say, go and I'll pray for you. Because um, I'd try on five or six pairs and, and not buy anything in the store. And I was telling a guy in a store right before I found these shoes. And I said, look. I'm not fussy. They just need to be perfect. <laughs> now, I have foot problems with, because of my arthritis and foot injuries that I've had. My shoes need to be exactly what I need. But if I was that way about everything, if we sat down at dinner and Kathy had the peas just a little too done and I rejected those and made her make some new peas, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. <laughs> She'd say, here's the peas, there's the stove, enjoy yourself. But, uh, but we can get really fussy. We, we have people who come into church. One of the reasons why we rearrange the chairs every now and then is to shake you up. People come in and, my chair has been moved. The first time, right after we got these chairs, Gary was our head usher then. And I think for like the first 10 weeks, I had the chairs arranged differently every Sunday. And Gary would walk in to plan the ushers and like, what do I do now? <laughs> hey, but listen, you don't have to be so fussy. I had a little moment of of joy. Maybe it's because I was knowing I was going to preach this message. This morning, I just thought I was going to read a book to my granddaughters, Leah and Anna, before breakfast. And so they climbed up in my lap and I held the book open. And just then, it, like as I leaned back with them, the light that was coming in through our uh, curtains, well, blinds, was reflecting off a picture that we have there. And it was glaring right in my eyes. Now, Normally, I don't handle that very well. Uh, vision problems, glare in my eyes. I normally get a little fussy. She says, yes, a little. Um, 
I, normally I re- really have a problem with glare. So if, we're, if I was sitting in that chair, normally I would have like, ah, oh, I can't sit in this chair. I'd have got up and shut the blinds or something, whatever. And I decided, you know, the most important thing going on right now is being here with my granddaughters. Can I endure that glare while I read this book that's going to take five minutes? I can do that. And so I really focused on them and the book. And we talked about the book. It's beautiful pictures, not quite the true Christmas story. And we talked about the difference in it. Uh, They show up at the wrong time to worship Jesus. But anyway, it, it was a joyful moment that I would have missed if I had been focusing on me instead of by love serve one another. Made a difference. So, if you have a reputation for being fussy and demanding, repent. Change your life. Folks will love you more, and God will approve more. Secondly, if you're self-absorbed, what do I mean by that? Focusing on yourself, thinking about yourself, how's this going to work for you, what's in it to you. If you're self-absorbed, thinking about yourself and not the needs of other people, then you need to repent. You need to confess your sin, and you need to change your life. What if Jesus had not thought about other people? He would have lived a perfectly sinless life and then gone back to heaven, and he would not have died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So, by love, serve one another. You need to pray that God will open your eyes so that you can actually see other people and see their hurts and see their needs. And then, by love, serve them. Serve them. Like a slave. Not seeking accolades. Not wanting to see your picture in the Casa Grande News Dispatch. You showed kindness to somebody on Florence Boulevard the other day. Not wanting to see that. Just doing what's right. Showing love. Serving one another. How many of you think that's easy? It's not. It's really not. There are times when it's easy to serve other people. But see, the way this is described, doulos, like a bond slave, serving like that is not easy. It requires you to take your eyes off the mirror, to look at your Lord, and then look at people the way the Lord would look at people, to see their needs and how you can minister and help. And sometimes, just by being kind and gracious and helping, You'll have an opportunity to introduce Jesus Christ into the situation, to invite someone to church, and they might end up being saved because you showed kindness, and that's not normal in our culture. By love, serve one another. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We are called to be God's people. It's a hymn in our hymnal. The screens will be, or the words will be on the screen as well. We are called to be God's people, to be His people, doing His work in His way to the people He loves. 
So focus on that as we sing.